Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. If you want to support the show on a one-time basis, you can mail a donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913, that's P.O. Box 15913 Boise, Idaho 83715. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And I want to go ahead and thank Liz for becoming our latest Patreon supporter at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Liz. Well, now it is time for us to get into this week's episode of Dragnet. And here we are going out of order a bit. Play this true Dragnet classic. In 1953, Dragnet had really become a cultural sensation, and it also made the jump to television. And Joe Friday and his new partner, Frank Smith, were set to appear on the big screen in 1954 in the first Dragnet movie. Right the film, Webb brought in Richard Breen. Richard Breen had written for Webb on his San Francisco-based hard-boiled detective series, Pat Novak for Hire. Breen, like Webb, had found success in Hollywood. He had already garnered an Oscar nomination, as well as two Writers Guild of America nominations. Breen agreed to write the film, but he wanted to write something else. He wanted to write a new Dragnet Christmas special. Breen was an observant Catholic, and he hated the existing Christmas special, which Webb had done for four straight years on radio and had also done on television. And that was Green's motivation for writing the script. And in doing so, I think it's safe to say he's admired by every writer who has ever hated something they've seen on TV. Here, let me fix this for you. The relationship between Webb and Breen was such that Webb agreed to it. And Breen promised he would write a story that was both reverent and also true to Dragnet in that it would be based on an actual police case. In this case, according to Michael Hayes book, My Name's Friday, Breen based it on a case that had happened in San Francisco in 1930. So there you go. The story was actually a big event. It was the only Dragnet story to premiere on radio and on television the same week. And the television broadcast was in color. The only episode of the 1950 series to be broadcast that way, although the color print does not survive. And of course, the episode would be remade as part of the 1960s Dragnet series in 1967. And we'll talk a little bit more about all that 
after today's episode. But now we've talked long enough. The original radio broadcast date was December the 22nd, 1953, and the title is The Big Little Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to burglary division. You get a call that an important piece of religious art has been stolen from the oldest church in Los Angeles. There's no lead to its whereabouts. Your job? Find it. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, December 24th. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of burglary division. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Bernard. My name's Friday. I'd gone across the street to buy stamps for some Christmas cards I was sending out. It was 9.15 a.m. when I got back to room 45. Burglary. I sat down at a table in the squad room and I started to address the cards when Frank walked in carrying a stack of Christmas boxes. Hi, Joe. Hi. Christmas cards, huh? A little late, aren't you? Well, I was going to send them out Monday, but we had that steak out. You ought to get married, Joe. Yeah? It's the only system. Faye does all that stuff for me. Laundry, mails, cards. Only system. Might help. I brought in your present. Want to open it now? No, I'll wait. I always open a couple the day before. Why? Well, put you in the spirit ahead of time. I opened Phil's this morning. Who's he? Faye's brother in Denver. Gave me a magazine. One of those funny ones. What do you mean, a comic book? No. One of those funny ones, you know. No, I don't, Frank. Well, some of the pages have holes in them. You look through and there's a picture on the next page. Oh, yeah, I've seen those on the newsstand. They have cloth pasted in. Cloth? In the ads. If you want to buy a suit, they have a sample right there. You mean you can feel it? Reach right out and feel it. There was one for $200. A suit? Sure. Cloth comes from Scotland. What's it made out of, solid gold? No, they got a special kind of goat over there. It's real smooth. Not a goat, Frank. A sheep. Well, it's a special kind of sheep, then, because a suit costs $200. You gonna get one? I told Faye. She said, wear the sample. Anything doing? Fanning and Pryor were in on that market holdup. They come up with anything? Pound of air. Nothing else. I hope it stays quiet. I got more shopping to do. I finished. What'd you get, Ann? Stationary set. Some paper and envelopes. Leather binding. Joe, you'll never learn. Well, what's the matter? No woman wants a stationary set. Get her something personal. Well, it's got her initials on it. No, no. You want something more sentimental, romantic. What'd you get, Faye? It's different in her case. What'd you get, Faye? Sewing machine. That's romantic. Well, it isn't a way. Why didn't you buy her a catcher's mitt? Burglary Friday. Yes, that's right. You have the right department. 
father will be right down. You know, you can tell us about it there. Goodbye. The old mission church, they've had a theft. Collection money? Statue of the child Jesus. Frank and I checked out of the office and rode over to the church at the corner of Sunset Boulevard in Maine. The old mission plaza church, founded 1781. The year Los Angeles became a pueblo. The outside was typical early Spanish design, complete with mission arches. It was made of adobe and painted white. They called it the Queen of the Angels. The Padres from down in Mexico built it. The devout Mexicans in town still attended services there. 10.05 a.m. Frank and I crossed through the courtyard. It used to be the old stable, but the Spanish priest changed all that when it became a mission. Stonemasons paved the stable floor and made it a courtyard. They planted grapevines, trees, and flowers. A young priest crossed the courtyard to meet us. He'd been sitting on a stone bench reading his morning prayers as priests had done here for 172 years. We asked for Father Xavier Rojas, who'd communicated with us. We were told he was inside. We entered a side door. The church seemed to glow with the hundreds of votive candles flickering on both sides of the altar and at the shrines throughout the church. It was empty except for a few people praying. Surrounding the main altar were several old oil paintings and gold frames. The air was heavy with the scent of advent flowers. We found Father Rojas up near the sanctuary, looking at the nativity scene. He told us about the crib. It was a $70 duplication of the scene at Bethlehem. The parishioners had taken up a collection for it 31 years ago. It was put up every year on December 22nd and taken down after the holy season. It was beautiful, except that one of the shepherds had lost an arm, the sheep was old and cracked, and the infant Jesus was missing. Father Rojas led us back into the sacristy. I'm sorry to bother you, men. It's all right, Father. Especially now, the holiday season. We cash our checks, Father. You want to tell us what happened? Or what you think happened? I discovered the statue was missing right after the six o'clock mass. You say the six? Yes. I started over to the rectory and stopped by the crib. Was the statue there before mass? I don't know. But it was there last night. How late is the church open? All night. You leave it wide open so any thief can walk in? Particularly thieves, Sergeant. You say it was there last night, Father. How late? 10 or 11 o'clock, we had confessions. No one saw it after that? One of the altar boys, he says it may have been there. He thinks it was. Did he see it? He's not sure. What's his name? Pardon me. Here's the schedule. You'll find the names for every mass there. Was there a big crowd at the 6 o'clock mass, Father? Not too many. Seven's the big one. People on their way to work. Did anyone stay after Mass, did you notice? Not especially. I came back here, took off the vestments. I suppose it was 10 or 15 minutes before I went back in the church. It was empty then? No, people were coming in for the 7 o'clock. Are these the older boys, James Cornine and Joseph Heffernan? That's right. Joe's the one who mentioned it might have been there. Did you check with the other priests, Father? Before I called you. None of them knows anything about it. Just for a check on the pawn shops, how much the statue worth? In money? Well, that's the point in pawn shops, Father. Only a few dollars. We could get a new one, but it wouldn't be the same. We've had children in the parish. They've grown up and married. It's the only Jesus they know. We understand. And we've had children who died. It was the only Jesus they knew. So many of the people who come here are simple people. They wouldn't understand, Sergeant. It would be like changing the evening star. We'll do our best, Father. 
That's why it would mean so much to have it back for the first mass on Christmas. It's not very long, Father. Less than 24 hours. If anything turns up here, you know where to get in touch with us. Yes. Sad, isn't it? How's that? In so short a time, men learn to steal. Yes, but consider us, Father. Us? If some of them didn't, you and I'd be out of work. 10.50 a.m., we notified pawn shop detail. Frank and I checked out the two Aller boys. The first one, James Cornine, said he knew nothing about the missing statue. The second one, Joseph Heffernan, was not at home. His father said he had a part-time job, but he'd have him get in touch with us right after lunch. By 11.30 a.m., we'd run out of book procedure. We had a man to find. Our only clue? He'd been to church. 11.33 a.m. We checked the phone books for the names of religious stores in the area. Two of them were closed. We tried the third. When we got there, the only person in the store was an elderly man sitting by a table. In front of him was a large, beautifully carved chess set. We're police officers. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Great to see you. Caught me in the middle of a big chess match. Where's your partner? Up in San Jose. We've been playing for years. Same match? No, just two or three months on this one. What I meant was we've been playing different matches for years. I see. You know, we do it through the mail. I send him a move, he sends me one. Must keep you on your toes. Except during the holidays, the mail gets all fiddled up. That's no good. Guess not. Slows things down, that's no good. I like to catch him off guard. You Mr. Flavin? How do you know? We never met. Your name's on the window out front. Mr. Flavin, we checked the other two religious stores in this neighborhood. They're closed. This is the best one anyway. 50% European items. We're checking the stores around the Mission Church. For what? Statue of the Child Jesus. Do you have one we could look at? Sure. No, sir, a larger one. You don't want a larger one, unless it's for a church. That's where you want a larger one. Could we see it, please? It's not my due to butt in, but unless you live in a big place, this will make your living room all a kilter. Yes, sir. Do most of the people who go to the mission church trade here? Good many of them, especially the kids. Why kids? More religious. Check on yourself. See if kids aren't more religious than you. Might be so. That's what's wrong with the world. Oh, I don't mean you're wrong with it. Everybody. Yes, sir. What if we could stick to the point, Mr. Flavin? Sure. A lot of people from the Mission Church come in here. Do people ever come in and sell back a religious article? Like a prayer book or rosaries? Yes, sir. Second hand, you mean? Yes, sir. Not since I've ever been around. It's silly. Why? People don't have religious articles so they can get rid of them. They have them so they can have them. But if a man had a statue and wanted to sell it, he'd come to a place like this. Sure, but he wouldn't want to sell it. He would if it was stolen. No, sir. If a man was to steal a statue, he'd be crazy or something like that. The only place he'd want to go is where crazy people are. You may be right, Mr. Flavin. I don't know what you fellas are looking for, but if it's somebody who stole a statue, he's crazy and you won't find him. You won't find him as long as you live, or in a million years. That should cover it. We checked religious stores out as far as Van S. We asked the same questions. The owners gave us the same answers, but none of them were as encouraging as Mr. Flavin. Frank and I had lunch and reported back to the office. It was 1.30 p.m. when we started into the squad room. The captain was just coming out. 
I just checked for you in the lunchroom. Well, we've been out on that theft at the mission. Make it some action on the Patterson case. They locate him? They think he's on the bus from Sacramento. Well, that means the Bakersfield police. We'll wait and see. One of you fellows, Sergeant Friday? He is. I'm Joe Heffernan. My father said you wanted to see me. Well, sit down, son. You didn't have to come in. A phone call would have worked. My father said to get on over. He says that any kid that uses phones is lazy. We want to ask you about this morning. You serve 6 o'clock mass? Yes, sir. I'm senior boy. So I get the 6th. You're senior and you take the early trick? Yes, sir. That way, if you receive communion, you get to have breakfast sooner. Father Rojas says you think the statue was there before Mass. I didn't look, but I have a feeling it was there. A feeling? You know, how you have a feeling about something, but you're not sure. Did you stay around long after Mass? I put out the candles and hung up my surplus. How long would that take? About five minutes, maybe. Did any of the people at Mass stay on? Some always do, especially ladies. Oh? Maybe they don't finish in time, or else they start new prayers. I don't know. So when you left, there were still some women there? No, sir. That was at first. After I went back to the sacristy, there was only this one man. What man? He comes at 6 o'clock all the time. Do you know his name? No, sir. But he works down in Olive, you know, paint shop, where they paint signs. Could you describe him? Sort of medium. Wearing a suit that didn't match. Didn't match? You know, different pants than coat. How about his age? Oh, he's pretty old. Take a guess. About 40, maybe. There's nothing particular about him. Then why'd you notice him? I've seen him before. And the bundle, I guess. The bundle? Out in front. I saw him when he was coming out. He had this bundle. And he almost dropped it. How large a bundle? It's hard to say. Come on, son. Was it large or small, the size of the statue? About that big. Yes, sir. the sign shop. The suspect didn't work there anymore, but we discovered his name was Claude Stroop. We found out where he lived. 2.25 p.m. We arrived there. It was a hotel for men, mostly old men, mostly down and outers. It was called the Golden Dream. Police officers, we're looking for Claude Stroop. Hope Claude didn't get in any trouble. So do we. Is he in? No. He's got room 307. You can check if you like. We'll take your word. Were you on this morning? Hmm? You have the early shift. Well, we don't have shifts. My uncle owns the place. I'm the shift. Did Stroop spend last night here? Came in about 11. When did he leave this morning? Around 6, maybe before. To come back after? 8 o'clock or so. Then left. Supposed to be back at 10. And pulls this trick. What trick? Our program. He knows the other fellas need him. Program? You're here at the hotel. Every Christmas we have a program. Put up a tree and sing. They're mostly old fellas. Singing like that makes them remember back when they were kids. Then Jimmy Finn comes on. He shares number 409. His family once had a lot of money, so he tells the fellas about it. Stories about Christmas. How they had this big log, and his grandfather used to start it up. And after dinner, everybody turned over his plate, and there underneath was a $20 gold piece. Brand new one. When Stroop came in this morning, did he have a bundle? I didn't see him come in. You said you saw him. I saw him go out after, but not come in. When was that? Eight. If you want to look for a bundle, I could give you his key. We don't have a warrant. It's all right. I know about police. It's all right with me. It's not with us. 
I didn't mean that. I, I just meant it was all right with me. Good King Wenceslas looked down on the feast of Stephen. They were three old men who couldn't tell how much better they would have been with Stroop singing the fourth part, but somehow you didn't care. This was Christmas at the Golden Dream, and it sounded fine. They got most of the songs down pat. Sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's why it's a shame Claude isn't here. He's tenor and they need him to make it sound just right. Does Troop have a job? No, sir. He used to have jobs. Not much lately, though. You say where he was going? No, he should have. The fellas need him. When he comes in, will you call us? Sure, and uh, not say anything to him. That's right. I hope it's nothing serious for Claude. The fellas' troubles ought to be over. Troubles? Way back. It wouldn't count. Tell us anyway. I don't know much about it. As much as you know. Now, come on. Well, something back where he used to live. Robbed somebody or something. What else? That's all. It was a long time ago, way far back. But he forgot it all, the robbing and everything. No, not quite. Hmm? He remembered it this morning. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. and ran Stroop's name through R&I. If he'd been booked anywhere, we had no record of it, at least not under that name. 4.15 p.m., pawn shop detail reported back. No object resembling the statue of the child Jesus had been turned in. 4.18 p.m., I hung up the phone. Patterson's on that Sacramento bus. I thought Bakersfield had it. They were supposed to confirm they did. Hop over the station. What about Fanning and Pryor? They're still out. Well, they'll be back soon. When's the bus arrive? Six o'clock. There's plenty of time for them to make it. There's more time for you. We're still in that theft. Can it wait? No. What is it? Ten, fifteen dollar statue? When's the price determine a case? I realize it's a church statue, but that doesn't give it priority. It's important to them, Captain. Joe and I promised to get it back. What do you got on it? Nothing much. And why are you so big-hearted? Burglary Friday. When? No. Don't say anything. No. Right. It's Claude Stroop. He just walked into the hotel. He's our suspect. Nobody's leaked to him? No. You'll keep. You can run him down tomorrow. It'll be too late then. I need it for the first mass in the morning, Skipper. It's kind of a big thing for them. I'm sorry. I can't juggle details around so you can get a statue back. If there's time later on, we'll do our best. Yes, sir. You better get over to the station. Yes, sir. Will you call Father Rojas over at the mission? Why? Tell him we're too busy to work on that statue. But we'll do it later. Tomorrow or when we get a chance. Why can't you call him? Well, we better get over to the station. If Patterson's on that bus, we don't want to miss him. All right, I'll call him. Righty. Yeah. I can send Fanning and Pryor over. You might as well stay on that other thing. Whatever you say, Captain. You are listening to Dragnet. The authentic story of your police force in action. Well, 
11.43 p.m., we arrived at the Golden Dream Hotel. The desk clerk was right. Claude Stroop looked like a man who'd had his troubles at bargain rates. Your name Claude Stroop? Yes, sir. Police officers, we'd like to talk to you. I didn't do anything against the law. Honest, I didn't do anything against it. You haven't been accused. I want to take you downtown. We'd like to talk to you. No, sir, I'm not going. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to talk to anybody. You're half wrong already. p.m. We returned Stroop for interrogation. He kept his word. He refused to talk. 6.05 p.m. Frank called Faye, told her he'd be a little late. Stroop didn't move for a whole hour. He sat and stared, but he didn't talk. 6.40 p.m. We got a final report from pawn shop detail. The shops were closed. There was no statue. Stroop still hadn't talked. Don't you ever want to go home, Stroop? If I was to talk, he wouldn't let me go. Depends on what you'd say. I'd say it wrong and I wouldn't get home. You won't this way either. I'd like to go, you can bet on that. This is the seventh year we had the program and I never missed a one. Not a single one. Why don't you tell us what happens, Troop? How would I know you'd let me go? You wouldn't. I might as well anyway. All right, what happened from mass on? Well, there was mass. I came out and started down toward the hotel. Back up. I left my stuff at the hotel, and then I picked up George's car. I didn't steal it. He said I could have it any time I wanted. Only this time I didn't ask him. I took it and started out. Yeah. I should have asked, but I just didn't. I went over to Grand Avenue for the Christmas bulbs for this fellow sells them secondhand. It was coming out of the lot, but I did it. Yeah. The bumper must have caught the other car. Didn't leave too big a dent, but there was this long scratch... I got out and tried to wipe it off with my handkerchief. You know, spit on it like. Only it didn't do no good. I didn't think anybody saw. I don't know how you fellas found out about it. I'll check all the records. Right. Stroop, we didn't bring you down here to talk about that. You didn't? No. There's a statue missing from the church. A statue of the child Jesus. You mean I took it? You took a bundle out of church. Yes, sir. That was my other pants for the program tonight. I had a place sewed up and there was a button on it. You can check. But I wouldn't take a statue. I don't think you would either. He's cleared auto records. One hope. For the program? You mean it's all right? Good night, Stroop. Good night. Merry Christmas. stay and work on it tonight. Wouldn't do any good. We won't find it. I don't think so. No use kidding the priest. Build his hopes up. Might as well go tell him now. p.m. We found Father Rojas. Frank told him how it was, that we couldn't get the statue back by morning, but that we'd keep trying during the week. He said he understood. We told him we had to get on. As Frank and I started to leave, 
the doors at the main entrance to the church opened. It was a good 200 feet away. It was hard to be sure, but it looked like a small boy drawing a bright red wagon behind him. When he got closer, you could see he was no bigger than a pint of milk. He was a luminous-eyed little Mexican boy with a face as young as yesterday. The priest seemed to know him. Paquito? In the back of the wagon was the missing statue of the child Jesus. He picked it up gently and walked up to the priest. Padre Rojas? He just stood there looking up at Father Rojas. It's Paco Mendoza. The boy from the parish. Ask him where he found it. Donde lo encontraste? No le encontré, le cogí esta mañana. He didn't find it, he took it. Why? Por qué? Todos los años Paquito rezó por un camioncito rojo. Este año Paquito rezó al niño Jesús. Yo prometí he says all through the years he's prayed for a red wagon. This year he prayed to the child Jesus. He promised that if he got the wagon, the child Jesus would have the first ride in it. He wants to know if the devil will come and take him to hell. That's your department, Father. No el diablo. Jesús amaba a Paquito mucho. We crossed over to the sanctuary. With the help of Father Rojas, the young boy replaced the infant Jesus in its rightful place, the crib in the nativity scene. Frank and I could have been wrong, but the small plaster statue seemed to approve. Mary, Joseph, the wise men, Gaspar, Melchior, Balthazar, the old shepherd, the young shepherd, the peasant, they all seem to approve. Vuelve a tu casa, Paquito. Priest told the boy to go home. He took hold of his wagon and started the long walk out of the church. we could say. There wasn't much to say. We just stood there and watched him go. Halfway up, he turned to look back. And he went on out. I don't understand how he got that wagon today. Don't kids wait for Santa Claus anymore? It isn't from Santa Claus. The firemen fix old toys and give them to new children. Paquito's family, they're poor. Are they, Father?
The story you have just heard is true. The names and locations were changed. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Welcome back. A great classic episode with a very different feel from the normal Dragnet. It has some points that are artifacts of its time. I actually went and watched the 1968 version because I wasn't sure that they used that line about the dad saying that boys who use the phone are lazy, but they did. Still, I think the core of the story spoke to something more timeless. Over the years, many Christmas specials, some good and some bad, have decried the commercialism of Christmas. This is kind of the opposite side of the coin. Rather than complaining about apartment stores and big interest and big corporations, this holds up the example of Christmas observed by those who have very little. A little boy with a repaired second-hand toy. A group of down-and-out men giving their all to prepare for Christmas and sharing a humble meal and stories of better days. They celebrate even though they are poor. But are they, Father? It's a simple but profound question that the episode leaves the audience to ponder. As a mystery, there's not a whole lot here, and obviously they don't even really solve the case. But it's a story about Joe and Frank being drawn into this world and understanding that even though there's not a lot of money involved, that this is an important case. It was unusual at the time for Friday or his partner to push back on the captain, but he does here, and it's a good question. When does m the money determine the importance of the case? Uh, the question ties into the theme that the season is about things greater than money or financial value. In terms of the production itself, in his book, My Name's Friday, Michael Hayes cites two things that he found were distracting problems with the episode. Uh, the first goes back to a problem that during the golden age of Hollywood, many people failed to comprehend the difference between Portuguese and Spanish last names, and that people from Brazil and Portugal speak Portuguese. Now, you can be ignorant of this, and you can get through your life without ever knowing this, and odds are you will never have a problem as a result of this. Uh, Jack Webb was not so fortunate. As the program was being filmed and recorded, he discovered that the young actor that he'd hired was of Portuguese descent and couldn't speak a word of Spanish. He had to learn his lines phonetically. And according to Hay, this came off as too wooden. To me, I never saw it that way. I always interpreted the way he delivered it as him being nervous, just because sometimes when 
I'm nervous I can come off a little stiff. Another point which I do agree with hate on is that Friday is just way too harsh this episode. While I think it's understandable that he's racing against the clock so he might not be patient, uh, this behavior in some ways was just totally against the sort of personality that uh, Friday had shown. I mean, he was getting rough with everybody, the desk clerk, and even the altar boy. If I'm in the place of the altar boy in this episode, I'm really afraid that Friday's gonna nail me to the wall for something if I don't deliver with my best guess as to the size of the bundle versus the size of the statue of the child Jesus really quick. Now, of course, Breen had written hard-boiled uh, crime stuff like Pat Novak for Hire, and I think he was kind of leaning into that approach uh, with uh, the Dragnet episode. It's a bit distracting here, but his inability to get Friday's voice right, as listeners had seen and heard it since 1949, and Webb either being unwilling or unable to rein his friend in would lead to bigger problems in the 1954 Dragnet film. I guess is another story. On a more positive note, one of the things I noted is how many people were cast in both the 1953 and 67 version of the story, in addition to Jack Webb. Harry Bartell, Herb Vigran, and Ralph Moody appear as Father Rojas, the desk clerk, and Mr. Flavin in all versions of the story. There are details that did get changed in the 1960s version. In the 1960s TV version, for example, Claude Stroop works at a mini-golf place, and when Friday presses the altar boy on whether the package was about the size of the statue, he's dialed back the intensity about two or three levels, so it's not so out of character for the good sergeant. Otherwise, the 1967 broadcast remains pretty much the same. And I think with those three actors, he recognized that those performances were perfect for what the script required, which is refreshing for an era when the work of actors, particularly the work of old radio actors, was often disregarded or as seen as disposable or replaceable. And seriously, could anyone else but Ralph Moody play Mr. Flavin? Webb knew that the story needed to be remade for technical reasons. Even if the original 1953 color print had survived, there were many technical complaints with it, and it couldn't compare to what they were able to do in color in 1967. He certainly recognized that there were some minor tweaks that could be done, to the script, and perhaps to his performance without doing any harm to the story. The core of the episode was beautiful, and that didn't need to be updated or changed. In fact, it was more needful in 1967 than it had been in 1953. Now, the world was not a perfect place in 1953. A country was just coming out of the Korean War. But there was a level of 
upheaval, division, and uncertainty that was really palpable in the United States during that era. I think of it in the same sort of class, though not obviously on as grand a scale, as the 1968 Apollo 8 mission and the reading of Genesis, in that it provided hope and reassurance to a troubled world, and perhaps still can today. Well, now we turn to listener comments and feedback, and we start out with Liz, who writes, Thank you for your continued stewardship of this material. And then we have a comment from Betsy over on YouTube. And regarding the episode, The Sullivan Kidnapping, Betsy writes, Ben's accent used to drive me crazy, until suddenly it didn't. Now I even like it. Uh, And regarding the episode, she said, good but sad episode. Well, thank you so much, Betsy. There are definitely a lot of bad and over-the-top Texas accents in old-time radio. I don't think Barton Yarborough's is one of them, in part because he comes by it honestly, as he's actually a Texas native. I've never heard him being interviewed, so I can't say what his natural voice was. It definitely seemed to be the default, even in roles that wouldn't necessarily call for someone to be Texan. Although... I did hear one or two episodes where he wasn't voicing a Texas accent the whole time. And it was odd. He could do it, but I knew Barton Yarborough was in it. In one episode, it was revealed at the end, he was secretly a Texan the whole time, and then we got the Texas accent. Well, now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Sergey. Sergey has been one of our Patreon supporters since May of 2020, currently supporting the program at the Seamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. And if you're enjoying the podcast on YouTube, be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and mark the notification bell. Now here we are beginning our official break in releasing new episodes, but we will have encore presentations starting tomorrow and running through New Year's Day, with Dragnet returning in two weeks. We will be posting a new episode of The Amazing World of Radio on New Year's Eve at amazing.greatdetectives.net, and we will be posting a special New Year's Day episode of the Old Time Radio Snack Wagon at snackwagon.net, with us returning to your regularly scheduled lineup on January the 2nd with yours truly, Johnny Dollar. I want to go ahead and take this opportunity. Andrew Rhines, who does our sound, our podcast hosting company, Spreaker, our fantastic Patreon supporters, and everyone who has sent in one-time donations or words of encouragement during the past year. I really appreciate all of your support. And I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And Lord willing, we'll see you back here in 2024. Instagram.com slash Great Detective. In the meantime, from Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.